0: Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, this is Tommy from Ops Analytica. I'm going to throw some stats at you really quickly. These come from McKinsey, by the way. Uh, data-driven organizations are not only 23 times more likely to acquire customers, but they are also six times as likely to retain those customers and 19 times more likely to be profitable. The fact of the matter is, is that the restaurant industry has done an amazing job getting sales data out of POS systems, but where they have a gigantic black hole is understanding what's actually happening in their daily operations. The thing that actually generates sales that go into the POS system, by the way, Um, they have no clue what's happening. The fact of the matter is, is that the that data-driven decisions about your operations are no longer a luxury. We can no longer back into how well our business is operating by looking at KPIs that have nothing to do with operations, and we need the ability to look at real-time operations data about every single location, um, and we need to use that data to make better decisions, to identify problems we didn't even know we had, and to solve those problems Quickly, and that's what Ops Analytica can help you do. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hello there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I'm back with another interview. Um, please welcome to the show today, Salem Najar. How are you doing, Salem? Good. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, so here's how the show works: I ask the same five questions to everybody who comes on, and uh, so let's just get started because that's when the conversation begins. So, question number one: Explain what you do today, and then take us through your career progression from your first job until now.
1: Sure. So today, I'm uh, the chief executive officer of a hospitality group that I formed about two years ago called Serve Hospitality Group. Um, what that means is, kind of on a day-to-day basis, really, I'm the the chief visionary officer more than I am the CFO or the CEO. I have to. You know basically plan the next stages of growth for our company and make sure that we continue to grow and uh, open restaurant locations so that our team can continue to expand and we have career opportunities for people to move up in and the evolution of my career has kind of been over the last five years building this uh, originally i started as a uh, multi-unit uh, operator of a franchise called tropical smoothie cafe and as I opened locations, um, my role sort of evolved from a a day-to-day operator to a uh, district manager to uh, now learning to juggle, you know, many different uh, aspects of the business and wear multiple hats, um, whether it was the lease negotiations and, and the real estate side of things or the legal lease review or the accounting piece or the payroll piece. So, Uh, I've gone through so many different stages of wearing and juggling uh, multiple hats and roles. And now I'm kind of at a point where uh, at the size that we're at, everybody has uh, a role that they play.
0: Cool. So just to recap, you started off as a franchisee, right? So... You decided you wanted to get into the hospitality industry. Were you always in the hospitality industry? Are you a family hospitality guy? Or did you do something else prior to that?
1: No, prior to that actually. So I'm a CPA and prior to that I was in public accounting. Um, sure. but my whole family background has been in uh, in restaurants and small businesses. So I come from a very entrepreneurial background and then kind of went and did the CPA thing for a while. And sure. uh, when I uh, branched my career out, it was sort of uh, with the intention of building a hospitality group around my uh, CPA knowledge. So now my back office kind of you know handles a lot of the analysis that goes into making sure that we perform well financially as a restaurant group.
0: Sure. And I mean, just for everyone who's listening to the show, there are two types of restaurants. There are systems, number driven restaurants that are profitable, and then there's everybody else. So if you're not like running a business by the numbers, you're not systematizing your operations. You're not collecting data across everything, not just accounting. But, you know, also just day to day ops, if you're not a systems number driven operator, then you're just not going to make as much money uh, over time, I would suggest, you know what I mean? That's Everybody can get correct. lucky and have a good location right. once in a while. Um, and, you know, that's where you saw that, too. I mean, COVID was the perfect example of that. The, the, during COVID, like, if you were weak, you were, the, you were the gazelle that got picked off by the lions right but if you were a strong systems driven operator and you knew what you were doing you were able to adapt and and transform very quickly and i think that was a huge differentiator i mean so anyway yeah okay cool so you started off one unit did how many units did you end up growing with tropical smoothie
1: uh originally i signed up for six unit territory and now i'm sure. working on uh now i'm working about uh, working on about 30 to 35 units
0: Oh wow! So you're you're still in Tropical Smoothie. Plus, you have other. Do you have other restaurants as well? Or is it all Tropical Smoothie?
1: All Tropical Smoothie. All
0: right, cool. What? What? Why did you choose that franchise? Just out of curiosity.
1: So, uh, in my CPA career, I was doing a lot of bookkeeping, uh, payroll, and financial advising for various um, small business owners, restaurant operators, and franchisees. And so I was kind of getting uh, a good understanding of how the franchise business model performs because that's not an area that my family had ever operated in, in my entrepreneurial experience. And um, as I started exploring uh, the franchise world, I looked into many different concepts, but ultimately, um, as I was reviewing the financial performance and the brand history and uh, those kind of aspects of every franchise that I was looking at, um, I wanted to make sure that I found something that clicked with me. And when I came across Tropical Smoothie Cafe, it really just became more of a, a gut feeling of this is the right decision for me. This is a brand that I believe in, a brand that I can get behind. Um, and then the visionaries behind the company really sold me on it because as I grilled them with questions, I could just tell that their responses were um so clear and so direct that they had a very clear understanding of the direction that they were going to take the company in.
0: Sure. That's cool. You know, being a franchisee is a partnership, right? You're putting, you're giving them a, you know, however much off the top, five, seven, 10%, whatever. And then, you know, you're trusting them not to suck, (laughs) basically, right? Like, and I came from Quiznos. That's why I say that. Like I had worked at Quiznos back when Quiznos had 5,000 locations. And you're trusting them to be good stewards of your money and also to do what they're supposed to do, which is to get people in the door, because the whole reason the franchise exists is to drive additional volume into a restaurant because you could have Salem's smoothie cafes, you know what I mean, but you just don't have the recognition that they have right so. It's so key. That uh, have yeah, that's, that good relationship. You know, I would
1: I would say that's definitely part of it. The other part uh, too is, um, you know, when I when I joined the company or joined this particular franchise, it wasn't uh, an extremely well known brand like it is, sure. you know, today with with nearly a thousand units nationwide. So I kind of came in at a point where it wasn't you know an extremely well-known brand but the reason that I chose franchising specifically over you know building my own model at the time was because of the systems and processes that were in place that I wouldn't have to recreate I mean an entrepreneur an entrepreneur's job is already hard enough you know juggling you know payroll accounting you know tax planning hiring employees all these other things so the last thing that I wanted to have to worry about was you know creating you know internal documents or creating a menu or creating marketing materials
0: absolutely no totally get it that's exciting let me ask you this when you were talking to the franchisor uh were you when you were asking them questions were you talking to the sales guy or were you talking to the executives
1: i was talking to the executive
0: yeah uh, if I can say anything to any of you guys that are looking at buying a franchise is if you need to get access to the executives and look at the PNLs and talk to other franchisees, you know what I mean? Because it's so important because, you know, the sales guys obviously incented to you know tell you what you want to hear. So you need to talk to the guy, the real guys and, and, you know, go through and talk to as many people at the RSC as you can, because that will give you a sense of how competent the franchisor is right and how good their people are Uh, and also you can start establishing those relationships early so that if you do become a franchisee of that company that you already know some people at the rsc that can help you get things done when you need them done because i'm sure you would say that you know you have to call them once in a while to get some data or some information or get something fixed and uh, it's good to have those relationships absolutely you know, so uh, in my like past life, my first job at corporate restaurant chains was, uh, I worked in franchise assistance at Quiznos. I actually ran that department, but like, so, I mean, I was the guy people called when they were hurting, but I mean, you know, it it, it was imperative for those guys to have someone that they could chat with, you know, even though oftentimes it was way too late for them to, to be saved, unfortunately, but anyways. I digress, Salem, that's a sad, that's a sad memory um okay cool so cpa now you're becoming the tropical smoothie king of uh the midwest uh how what what's your vision like you want to get 50 100 200 units
1: you know it's not really about number of units for me i mean you, you hit it on the nail earlier it's it's about you know financial performance and operations i mean coming from the background that i come from i'm i'm approaching this in a very you know systematic corporate minded way so my goal is is to build a certain um to build a certain amount of revenue that makes sense in the geographic territory that I want to operate in so in the three states that I'm in right now Illinois Wisconsin and Michigan I'm trying to gain, you know, real strong foothold. So uh, a goal in terms of like presence or physical size, I would say is to definitely be the largest, um, you know, Tropical Smoothie Cafe operator in the Midwest specifically in this corridor that I operate in, Um, you know, revenue wise, I want to take the company to, you know, at least 50 million and and see where it goes from there. But, you know, ultimately the goal is really just boils down to, to the people. When I started this thing, I only had a vision to do, you know, six of these as kind of a passive investment and I still had my accounting firm um, at the same time. But what what changed things for me was um, when I quickly realized how important the other people of the organization were to the success of the organization. So it transitioned from me being, you know, me wanting to build, you know, a passive, uh, a passive uh, income source for myself to now wanting to create job opportunities for people to move up in the company um, that, you know, could really create a career for themselves. And I've built a passion around that. So I've got a guy with me that, you know, started out as just, a, an assistant manager and now he's the vice president for vice president of operations, uh, for the entire company. So stories like that are really what get me out of bed every day and help me to keep, um, you know, growing the company and sort of building this, this legacy with serve hospitality group.
0: That's cool. You know, that's what's, again, I say this all the time on this podcast, but like the hospitality industry, if someone's listening to this, who's not in the biz right now, it's one of the few industries where if you're a good people manager, you don't have to have 20 degrees, you don't have to have, you know, uh, all these credentials, you can work your way up from the ground up and you can become, you can make a great living and a great life for yourself uh, because it's one of those things where What's important in the hospitality industry is, is managing people, you know? And if you're good at that, it doesn't matter if you have an MBA or not. You know what I mean? Such a
1: cool 100%, thing. 100%, couldn't agree more.
0: So, yeah. And so I just, I, and I say this a lot too, but I, I, as I've done this podcast, it's kind of reinvigorated me and, and, and re-engaged my love of the hospitality industry. And I do believe that the National Restaurant Association, especially now, during this hiring crisis needs to do more about talking about like, it's not like, you know, you know, there's like this uh, negative connotation to working at like a restaurant or fast food, Oh, they're just a waiter, Oh, they just flip burgers. No, like that's the starting point of a career that you can have for your entire life. You can live around the world. You can do amazing things and make a ton of money and make some great relationships as well. You know what I mean? So it's like, they need to do more to promote a hospitality career track is mean, that isn't just like the thing that you do when you can't find anything else, but it's a thing you do because it's an amazing thing to do. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah.
1: No, I would, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in an industry where, you know, my father was in, uh, liquor stores and convenience stores. So from the age of 10 years old, I was, you know, stocking, stocking beer coolers and liquor shelves. And, uh, and I think that those. Um, you know, aspects of work ethic, you know, really helped pave the way for what I eventually decided to do in terms of, you know, going to college, getting a degree, so on and so forth. But it's not for everybody. And more importantly than that, um, it's also not an end-all be-all. We're we're in an mm-hmm. economy where, you know, we've kind of, you know, brainwashed people with with media that they need to go out, they need to get a degree, they need to, yeah. you know, follow the corporate nine-to-five lifestyle. And um, you know, more people need to be talking about how, you know, you need to live outside of the four walls a little bit. And that's why, again, I got really passionate about what I do, because now when I hire somebody into my organization, even if they're just, uh, you know, an entry level hourly employee, they see that we're growing, they see that we're building something, they see that we're offering, you know, health, dental, vision, you know, benefits, et cetera, And, and they can really create a career for themselves. And obviously, not every operator can do that. Um, but at the same time, regardless of whether you're working for, you know, one unit operator or a small mom and pop place, or, you know, a larger operator that can, you know, pave the way for a career for you. I think there's definitely value in developing work ethic and gaining real life skills that you can then translate into any other corporate job that you uh, decide to pursue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. True. I mean, I I started at 14, man, and I'm still doing this, you know, I'm I'm turning 50 next year. So it's just Mm -hmm. like, You know what I mean? Like, and it might be different aspects of it. And that's, what's so cool about it too, is there's just so many aspects of it from just being at the store level to being a corporate to help, you know, district manager to food production. I mean, it's just, it's a massive industry. It's so cool. All right. I think we've answered question number one. Uh, Let's go to question number two. What's the big project or initiative that you're working on right now?
1: Right now we're working on a big expansion into uh um southern wisconsin northern illinois so we're picking up a territory that we're going to be developing from madison all the way over to milwaukee and going down into the uh, northern chicago suburbs so that's keeping me pretty busy right now
0: sure so did you buy the territory from tropical smoothie to develop it or are you buying it from another franchisee who didn't develop no
1: from from the franchisor to develop it from scratch Cool.
0: You know, and at some point in the future, you're going to get big enough where they're going to come to you and be like, hey, you want to pick up this territory over here? You want to buy this guy out, whatever, you know, so that'd be pretty exciting, too. That'll accelerate your growth. Cool. So you're adding new locations. So let me ask you this. When you're looking at locations, uh, how are you judging them? What are you doing to judge them, to pick which ones are the good ones? Like, how do you do that? Do you have a guy that does that for you?
1: Um. So, it's a mixture between you know, using our real estate brokers and uh, internally reviewing it. That's something that my Vice President and uh, Chief of Staff kind of helps me with. We you know, when we're doing site selection, uh, it's really important, especially in some of these newer markets that we're going into. It, it's a little bit of a segmented brand. I mean, this this franchise in particular, is very well known in michigan but is not as well known in wisconsin or illinois for instance so when we're approaching you know a new location in those markets um our strategy is a little bit different whereas in michigan um i might be willing to you know sort of pursue my development schedule um in a pretty random way and and basically just pursue real estate that i feel is either b to b plus or better Um, in markets like Illinois and Wisconsin. I have to be very strategic about it in terms of A, Making sure that I go to the more regional market first, and then build outwards, so that I can, uh, you know, gain brand recognition um, from being in the well-known city first before I go to the more smaller suburb. And then B, I have to make sure that I'm also approaching, you know, very visible A A plus real estate um, that's in a corridor that a lot of traffic is going to to also help with that brand recognition.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, that's really interesting and smart. That's cool. Um, okay, cool. uh what is the one big thing in the uh industry or your business that's keeping you up at night right now?
1: That's a great question um I would say. The biggest thing that keeps me up at night probably is just making sure that you know I'm I'm taking the the right decisions for the company, and I'm not losing sight of my vision. So when I when I built this hospitality group and when I branded it, it was as I said earlier with the intention of making sure that you know I can build people up throughout the organization. And what gets challenging about that, and and the piece that uh, I'll, I'll specify, you know, the piece of that that sort of keeps me up at night is. Um, You know, making sure that I'm still involved enough um, to keep it um, personal, you know, as I grow, because as I grow and as I add units, I'm up to 350 employees now and, and it's growing quickly.
0: And as that
1: happens, I feel like the personal touch um, you know, naturally fades, or the personal connection rather, uh, fades a little bit between me and and the people that I'm working with, because there's simply not enough time, you know, to connect with all of them. So, sure. you know, the best ways that I've, you know, found to try to combat that is through, you know, things like, uh, you know, corporate retreats, or, you know, summer barbecues, or things like that, with as many of my team members that can make it. But it's challenging to make sure that as I grow and as Um, you know the hierarchy builds and there's more people under me that are getting you know filtered through the channels that i don't lose track of having the personal connection with you know some of the store level managers or better yet the the team members uh, at the cafes that you know want to move up in the company and want their voice to be heard and so uh that really is important and makes me think a lot about how i need to make sure that you know, my vision, my culture, my passion is translated to, you know, the, the next level below me so that they can pass it to the levels below them. And, you know, hopefully make sure that, you know, people are having the right opportunity to move up in the company and stick to what this brand's all about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, it's really going to be like, you know, at some point you'll have like, you'll be so big that you'll then have more time to do that because literally you'll have all these VPs and people doing all this stuff for you and you won't be, you won't be as mired in the day to day. Right. But you're in that growth mode. So, you know, every person you bring in is that much less money that you can use to go start a new restaurant or, you know, do a benefit. So you're in that growth mode. I wonder if you couldn't do like coffee talks or stuff like that would be interesting. Like, you know, for like some employees, if you could get them on a tablet at the store and, you know, just have a conversation with them once a week or a month, like just those key guys. Cause that's an interesting issue. I, uh, you're the first person who's ever really expressed that issue on the cast. Here, so.
1: Yep. That's no, that's, uh, and that's, and that's suggestion ways that we're trying to stay connected. So I appreciate
0: that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, cause I have a couple guys that are like 200 unit guys, you know, like franchisees. And I mean, these are massive organizations. I, I don't think people realize, you know, how much money you can make. Like you said, I'm trying to get the $50 million a year selling smoothies. You know what I mean? Like this is a real thing and, and people need to like understand that this is a huge, real, amazing thing. And you're employing a lot of people, you know, it's cool. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So question number four, we're just kicking butt over here, dude. Uh, what is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't
1: Mm. i Great question. You know, sometimes I, I think about, you know, the the level of technology that we're in and um, really, I don't want to say something that we haven't done yet. I think we're just starting to do it now is, is how I will say it. So if we would have had this call, you know, maybe a couple months ago, I probably would have told you that I don't think the technology piece of of the industry is is there yet. But as I'm um, you know, as I'm having this conversation with you now, I, I just got done reviewing, you know, a lot of things that are coming up technology wise for not only my industry or my brand, but, you know, many other brands. I mean, uh, you know, third party delivery is is becoming more and more of you know, a convenience and a feasible option for people. There's more and more cubby pickup. Um, you know, drive-thrus are obviously becoming uh, more prominent, uh, you know, since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, you even see, you know, companies partnering with, you know, more robotic technologies like Nuru for ho- food delivery and things like that. But um, so I don't want to say that I don't think we're doing anything that's uh, behind our time or ahead of our time. But I think that as the future goes on, we're going to see just more ways of building in convenience because, um, you know, the American lifestyle is just so busy that, um, you know, convenience is becoming a a huge factor. And, um, so the focus on finding ways to make things, you know, affordable, fast, convenient, um, you know, are all super critical.
0: Yeah, and, you know, because I'm obviously, my company's a a hospitality technology company as well, and so I'm always thinking about how do we do more as well, and most of the technology investment has been on the sales side and the delivery side, so, like, that channel's been really built out well, you know what I mean, like, and they'll continue to invest a lot of money in that because it drives sales, right, so it's an easier sell for the technology guys, too, as well. We focus more on operational technology and operations data personally. And what I'm always trying to figure out is, is how can I make it easier to operate the locations? Like that's the, the the quandary I'm trying to solve all the time, but you know, part of the restaurant business is there'll be some amount of automation in there eventually, right? Like you might, you know, eventually they might invent a smoothie machine that could have all those ingredients in hoppers and just start blasting them out, you know, Um, And which would be, you know, fine, whatever. But like, I just, there's just certain things that just have to be done by a human being in our industry. And I don't know that they're ever going to censor or automate them completely out. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm trying to figure it out.
1: No, I I would agree with that. I mean, you know, some people, you know, have a very negative connotation towards technology. And, you know, the, the goal is not... To have you know robots uh by any means replace people the the point you know our our organization specifically in my brand of hospitality group specifically really focuses on you know customer satisfaction and the customer experience i mean you can get you know and by the way we're not just smoothies we're also you know food but we uh you know we we, we don't uh, approach you know the Sure, we got to have a great quality product and a great, you know, menu item in order for people to come back. But that's not the only reason that, you know, they want to come back. They want to come for for the tropical vibes. They want to come for the experience, the laughs, the, you know, and that's why, you know, COVID, regardless of whether, you know, uh, some businesses performed well financially during that time or not. Um, the bigger issue for me is just making sure that we didn't lose personal connection and personal touch with our customers, because that's one of the biggest differentiating factors for people is is the experience. So, I don't think the goal by any means is to replace you know um, uh, employees with with robots. But you know as financial pressures increase and and less and less people um want to do the laborious tasks in the market, those things will naturally happen and then there will be, you know, jobs that then replace those, whether it's technicians yeah. for the robots or, or things like that. But I think that's, that's way down the road from us. Um, you know, at least a couple decades uh, before we get to a point where anything like that is, is really affordable and, and happening, um, in a way that makes sense in the economy.
0: Yeah. And at some point too, like, so there's different, there's different experiences, right? When, you, when you're going to um, uh, go out to, to dinner or to get food or whatever it is, there are different experiences that you're trying to have. And sometimes that experience is just quick. I don't like, you know, I'm running between two practices and I just have to throw some food in these kids because they're gonna freak out and you know, there's gonna be tears in the car. So that's one experience. And that's in, that's a very American experience cause you kind of touched on it earlier, right? the notion of we're so busy as a culture that we do need that quick experience. But then there's other experiences where you're actually going to have an experience. You know what I mean? You're not going to rush. You're going to enjoy something. And then that is the part of the experience where you do want other. You don't. I don't care that I can do this on a tablet. I actually do want to talk to somebody. I want to get a suggestion because I don't know what to order. You know what I mean? Like I want to like interact with people or or see people having fun. And so that's the part of the hospitality experience that, you know, we have to hold on to because there's going to be a lot of pressure to go the other direction to just slam it out. You know what I mean? Especially in like QSR fine dining is completely different, but especially in QSR quick serve, you know, fast food, that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I, uh, It's interesting because I've been like racking my brain, man. Like, I'm just like, how can I make like doing all these checklists and all of these operational things easier? And the reality is, is I can get them easier to a point, but at some point, someone's got to check this stuff and look at it. Right. And make sure it's right. Because if we don't, we're going to be running to the back to get, you know, an ingredient in the middle of the rush. And we're going to slow down the entire process and the line's going to get too long, you know, and people are going to walk in the door and go I don't have time for this and leave you know what I mean so like at some point like we can get it as streamlined as possible but at some point somebody's got to take some responsibility and and double check everything absolutely hmm. so okay well, man, we're already on question number five. We've been, we've been breezing through this one today. Uh, give me a war story. Give me something funny or worthy that happened to you when you were doing this, uh, when you've been building this business. You know, one of those stories you can't believe happened or how did we get through it? And, uh, you know, give us a war story. Wow.
1: Um, so a war story for me would probably be... Um, you know, I would say very recently, actually, about two years ago, I kind of went through a point where, you know, I'll call it a pretty decent sized war where I was, you know, kind of battling with myself of whether or not I wanted to continue with this whole endeavor. And and the reason that it all started was because of, you know, pressures from, you know, not having enough staff, not having the right organization structure. Not having the right, you know, things in place. I mean, you've said it multiple times on this call, but you know, people don't really understand what goes into to restaurant operations. And you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so if things weren't, you know, going the right way, you know, or customers weren't happy, or things like that, I was taking it very seriously. And um, at the same time, there was just such a large learning curve for me to understand what it really took to scale this business. So in the beginning, um, I was trying to do so much of it myself, and I reached a point about. You know, two two and a half years ago, where I was just taking on too much, um, wearing too many different hats, and not hiring the right people in the organization to help. You know, make sure that we were um, staged for success, really. So I got to a point where I just thought, you know, maybe is this really for me? Should I throw in the towel, or you know, how do I um, how do I continue to scale this company and stick with the vision of it all without having the right people on the team? And that kind of just went, you know, went back to, you know, no simple solution or silver bullet there. It just was a long war grew gruesome process of <laughs> trying to find, you know, the right people one by one and, and, you know, trying not to let the stresses of every day, you know, consume me and just working with the people that I had in the organization that were loyal and wanted to grow and, you know, weeding out the, the ones that, you know, weren't and replacing them with the right people. And once I eventually did that, Um, and I got through it all, you know, and I started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I reached a point where I just really said, okay, you know, if, if the plan is to continue to grow, I got to invest in my people. Before I grow, you know, rather than, you know, make the growth decision and then invest in people. So now um, I'm hiring ahead of time. I'm looking for key talent ahead of time, even before, you know, we go into a new market and buy it or build it out. We're thinking of what we're going to need in order to run that market, you know, a year from now, two years from now and getting those people on board now and looking at them as an investment, the same way you would a piece of equipment in your restaurant.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, being an entrepreneur, like the, the whole growth and scale thing, man. I mean, we're going through it the same thing, too. It requires so much patience and it requires so much personal growth. And, like, and like you said, too, which I think is probably the hardest thing to do, which is to go, okay, this is not the way I want it to be right now, but I've got to. Put that aside, put it on a shelf, knowing that it's driving me absolutely insane. But there's only there's only so many hours in a day, and I'm only one guy. And then look strategically to go, okay, I can't solve this today. How am I gonna solve it for the future? And know that over there for a couple of months, it's a painful couple of months, you know, where things aren't going exactly the way you want it, but you got to get the right guy in there to help you take it to the next level and you gotta train them. And so you just got to be able to live with stuff that's like driving you insane, but it's part of that growth process of getting to the next level. Right. Because if you just did everything, you'd have six restaurants right now. Yep. Because just, you couldn't do it all. But now you've got, you know, over close to 30 because you, you were able to step back and then start putting the actual organization and focus on that. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Ah, huh. that was a great story. That was a really good, uh, war story. I'm, I liked it. So anyways, that's it, man. That's, that is the podcast. We got through all five questions. Do you want to plug anything? Um, put a link out there so I can put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll put a link to our website and uh, you know, if anybody's interested in
1: reading about what we're doing or our plans or our uh, brand vision, I'd be, uh, you know, I'd love to to see people check us out.
0: Awesome. So, Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you guys for listening to the order up shows, uh, but Salem, I appreciate your time today and we will put the link out there for people to check it out and keep listening guys. Cause we got more episodes coming.